0: Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Well, I'm glad you made it here today. Um, man, uh, you know the drill. Turn to your neighbor and say, I, I, man, I really like you a lot. Man, I'm so glad you made it. All right, turn to your second choice. And uh, I want you to tell them how much, how much, how much you love the Seattle Seahawks. All right? Just do it. Okay? Shout out to the Seahawks. You guys are amazing. Um, I want you, uh, as I, I try to find my place here in, I, I want to read a story here at the end of my text uh, or, or my talk. Um, could you take uh, one minute and I want you to, uh, don't go around, uh, like, If you're over there, I don't want you to, like, come over here, but I want you to take just a few minutes and just get to know, like, three people in front of you, three people in back of you. Actually, we're not going to take three minutes, okay? Did I say three minutes? I don't know. We're going to take 45 seconds, all right? So, on the count of three, we're going to do this, all right? One, two, three. All right, just introduce yourself, man. Tell them man, you're great, All right. Well, you guys, you guys excited to be here? All right. Uh, hey, how many of you were here last week? We talked about, many of you were here last week, we talked about generosity. Remember our text straight out of not a Compton, but straight out of the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 35, bad joke Sunday. It's always bad joke Sunday for me. But Acts twenty thirty-five says, Paul says, it's more blessed, everyone say, it's more blessed To give than to receive. And so we talked about generosity, taking up generosity last week. And, uh, man, I heard from so many of you how God has blessed you this week and how in uh, response to your act of obedience that that God has really done extraordinary things in your life. So uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to share some of those stories. Uh, I'm excited about what Jesus is doing in Capitol Church. And I am excited about what Jesus is doing in the Treasure Valley. And I believe our best days are in front of us. Come on, I thought we were a Pentecostal church here. Come on, God God is on the move. And, uh, man, it's a good time to be alive. It's a good time come rain, uh, sunshine, hell, or high water. It's always a good time to follow Jesus. And so uh, we're, we're going to practice generosity. We're going to live it. Uh, today we're going to talk about taking up gratitude, or what I like to say, Uh, giving thanks. We're going to pick up or take up Thanksgiving. And so we're going to go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And uh, Paul, how many you love Paul? Paul, he uh, is writing about the human condition. And uh, probably in about 20 minutes, I'm going to talk to you about Thanksgiving, but we got to build for that, towards that. So we're going to begin in verse 18, and many of you are familiar with this passage, but Paul writes, "For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness." Now let me just say this really quick: The wrath of God is the shadow side of his love. How many of you know that God is merciful? He's gracious, he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in faithful covenant love. God is so patient that he'll wait four or 500 years. After he tries to get your attention over and over and over and over and over again before he will exact judgment, right? So when we talk about the wrath of God, the wrath of God is not unmitigated anger. Uh, this is not God just uh, throwing a temper tantrum in the cosmos somewhere. No, the wrath of God is a, res- is, is a faithful response to the defacing Of his beautiful world. So, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So, ungodliness, everyone say ungodliness. Ungodliness is the root issue, it's the problem that has disfigured God's good world. And he continues, and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. How many of you know we need more truth in our world? How many of you know we need more truth in our lives? Like, here's the thing. When we think of truth, we think of, like, cold, hard facts, right? When we think of truth, we think of, like, abstractions. No, the truth that we need is that God is a faithful covenant God, right? And he embodies love and patience and goodness and that this is his world. Well, in verse 19, Paul says, For what can be known about God is plain to everybody because God has shown it to everybody. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not what? They did not honor him as God or give thanks. This is fascinating. They did not give thanks to him, but they became futile. In their thinking. It's funny how thanksgiving and thinking are inextricably connected. Paul is actually making an argument that ingratitude is the foundation for the entire structure of human corruption. Like if you were to do a diagnostic test, how many mechanics do we have here today? Okay, a few of you. Mark Francie, you are not a mechanic. (laughs) But if you wanted to figure out like the problem in your car, do you call it diagnostic testing? Yeah, whatever. Um, and you try to get to the root problem of human corruption and evil and why do people do what they do, you would find ingratitude. Not honoring and ingratitude uh, is really the sine qua non, or it's the essential characteristic of human corruption. So what happens? They did not give thanks, and now God's world is thrown out of joint. It's like God's world, God's beautiful world needs a chiropractor, and all the chiropractors said amen. Amen right? it's our, our, our thinking becomes twisted. Our living becomes twisted. And so you see this kind of downward uh, descent into dehumanized practices. And so Paul fleshes this out in verse 21. So they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is all because of ungodliness. This is all because they did not honor God. This is all because of ingratitude. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is evoking Genesis 2 and 3 and the, the story of Adam and Eve and the talking snake and the tree of life and all that kind of stuff and the fall. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up. C.S. Lewis said, hey, there's going to be a time when people who are disobedient to God's like plan for their life or they're not in step with what it truly means to be human, that God will... Have to say to those disobedient humans, Thy will be done. And this is the idea that God gives up uh, people to their lust, of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Come to verse 28. And since they did not see fit, everyone say, did not see fit. So they did not see fit to acknowledge God, acknowledge Him. They've suppressed the truth, uh, they're lying to themselves. Uh, they're full of ingratitude. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Let me just say this really quick. There was a, an intellectual in the 20th century, famous. He goes, you know what, I, I have reasons or I have motives for not wanting a world filled with meaning. And he goes, the reasons why, and it's not just purely metaphysical, he's a philosopher. I'm not just trying to build a case against God uh, because I just believe purely on metaphysical grounds. There is no reason to believe in God. He goes, no, I have a motive for a world without meaning because I want to do, I need valid proof that I can do whatever I please. Here we have in microcosm really the human heart corrupted uh, by suppressing the truth and ungodliness. Verse uh, 29, they were all filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So Paul lists off all these um, deformative practices uh, that no one has ever experienced in this room, okay? Uh, Evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them wow that 's a little dark, uh, but i love I love Paul because he 's honest. Can we be honest in church? Uh, I, I want to go quickly to Romans chapter twelve you don 't have to turn there verse one. Here we have the solution to the the problem of human corruption uh, it 's obviously through the achievements of Jesus that we can even. Uh, Start talking about Romans 12, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit if you give me four hours today. You give me four hours, all right. Uh, Paul writes in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore. Again, he's linking uh, this text with what we just read in Romans chapter 1. Man, there's a strong correlation between the two. So think about worship. Think about idolatry. Man, think about not giving thanks, all that kind of stuff. And he goes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because God is so merciful, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Man, modern Western people are really, man, we feel uncomfortable with sacrifice. Uh, But Paul and the early Christians, they understood this is not a sacrifice that's going to kill you. This is a living sacrifice that's going to bring life, right? Holy and acceptable to God. So Paul's talking about worship. Which is your spiritual worship? So we have this interesting sequence. Before Paul talks about Uh, A transformed life, before Paul talks about truly being human, he begins with getting your worship right. Then we come to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everyone say be transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How many of you want a transformed mind? Right? Um, Marcus Aurelius, about 1,700 years ago, he said a man's life, a woman's life, consists of what he or she thinks about every single day. And I agree with that, but I disagree with that. And I'll explain here pretty soon. But your thinking is inextricably connected to your living. Do do you believe that? So what you think about today is going to influence and affect how you live your life 10, 15, 20 years down the road. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which all begins with worship, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. How many of you want to know the will of God? I'm so glad we're not just, like, we're coming on a Sunday, we're whistling in the dark, we're like, okay, Jesus, I hope I can, like, figure you out today. You'll never be able to figure out Jesus, right? But God has you figured out. And when you practice the art of worship... Uh, you open your heart to this non-conformity, right? You don't conform to the world, which leads to the transformation of your mind, which then opens your mind to what God's thinking wants to do in your life. God is speaking to his people. Man, God loves you. God has a destiny for you. I don't even know why I said destiny. There was a song about 20 years ago that we used to sing all the time. I have a destiny I know I shall fulfill, Right? We have a destiny. Thank. I was hoping for a hand clap on that one. (laughs) Like we have a future. Come on. And that future is inextricably tethered to the purpose of God. And God doesn't want you to walk around every single day in the dark, right? He wants to show you what uh, he wants to do, not just for you, but through you. So that by testing, let me say it again, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And everyone said, amen. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you for uh, being with us today. I thank you for your goodness. We love you, Jesus. Lord, there's no one, no one, no one, no one, no one like you. Lord, in the next few minutes, I thank you for uh, helping me uh, bring your word with clarity and, uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, your grace. In your name we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen. So the problem here, if I can just get into it, the problem Paul is talking about is not that you and I have, like, uh, a sin problem. Right? We, we all know. We've been, if you've been in church for a long time. We all understand that we have, on one level, a problem with greed or with, like, bitterness, or with anxiety. Maybe some of you are a Philadelphia Eagle fan. You need to repent of that today, right? Right? So what? what Paul is making a case that the problem with the human heart is not a sin problem. A, the, the, the sin that, that defaces the image of God in us is, is a symptom of something deeper, it's a symptom of something like that underlies it like my sister Rochelle I love she love her she's amazing you've heard the story before but at the age of 5 6 uh, she was a kleptomaniac so she would go into the store and she would like she would jack like bubblelishus gum like and uh, who would it right bubblelishus gum is is it's amazing so she would steal gum and perfume and some of you have heard the story before but she was a kleptomaniac god rescued her she is man she's as holy as they come god is good can I get an amen But we usually think that the problem with the human heart is, man, addiction to pornography. That's not your problem. problem is not you being a kleptomaniac. Your problem is not getting into bad relationships all the time. Your problem is not like just a basic, generalized problem with sin. Paul is not going to play that game. Paul is going deeper. And what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1 is, man, you don't have, and this is his definition of ungodliness. Ungodliness is not a failure of behavior ungodliness for for Paul is a failure to worship. So essentially what Paul is saying is that, no, 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 you don't have a sin problem, you have a worship problem. Right? The reason why we, we get twisted out of shape, the reason why we think weird thoughts, the, the reason why we don't build beautiful thoughts in our brain and we make dumb decisions is not because we're dumb. It's not because our IQ is low or high. It's not because maybe we just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and just made Make bad decisions. No, the reason why we do what we do and we collude with these deformative practices like lust and greed or pornography or addictions or whatever is because we have a problem with worship. Like, if you take lust again, let's strip lust down to its roots. You know what it is? It's not just a problem with intimacy and objectify your desire to objectify people. No. When you strip down lust to its root, you have a fundamental problem with God himself. Now, I want to build a case here pretty soon. I, I, I love this stuff. I hope you love this stuff. I'm, I promise we're, it's going to get really good and exciting. And you're going to give me a hand clap at the end of this message. Uh, but, but right now, just, just bear with me. Here's the thing. Uh, we are not just what we think. We are not just what we read. We are not just what we eat. We are not just what we know. We are, on a fundamental level, we are what or who we worship. Let me just say this. This is David uh, Foster Wallace. Um, He, this is a commencement uh, speech. His parents were atheists. He wasn't a Christian. I think he experimented in different religions. Uh, But he was a famous novelist, a a cultural uh, critic, etc. And this is what he said in his commencement, uh, commencement speech uh, on worship. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. He goes, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is to what, what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship, you know, he's a bit of an agnostic, be it Uh, JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wicked Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths and proverbs and cliches and epigrams and parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will never ever, or you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. I would disagree with that. But it is that they are unconscious, and I do agree with that. They're default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. What he makes the case for is the inescapability Of worship. The question, man, if you've been in church a long time, the question is never uh, whether you will worship, right? Unfortunately, many people reduce worship to like a Sunday morning worship experience. Like you come in, you do the Pentecostal two-step, or you do the Hillsong Hop, you high-five each other, you lift your hands when we sing Good, Good Father, and you have that weird face, like, you know, goofy face, like you're in the presence of Jesus, and you're having a great time, and yes, that's worship. But worship is is, is way more comprehensive than that. Worship involves every single minute and second of every single day of your life. So the question is not whether you will worship, the question is, who will you worship? Here's the thing, the primary, as N.T. Wright uh, wrote in his book, Surprised by Hope, uh, he said, and I love this, that the primary law in human life when it comes to worship is that whatever you worship, and this is why worshiping something other than God is not good, because whatever you worship, you will become. Remember, you, you are not just what you think, you are not just what you know, you are what you worship. So he goes, you become what you worship. And not, and not only do you become what you worship, you reflect what you worship back to the world. So let's say you worship sex. Sex is everything to you. Uh, what, you what, what will happen is you will increasingly define yourself by your sexual experience by sex itself. So you will treat everybody as a sexual object. Christopher Hitchens, a famous anti-theist who did not want meaning in his life because he just simply wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. He said this, never pass up an opportunity to be on TV and to have sex. That's our culture in microcosm. We worship at the altar of a sexual experience. And what happens is, You start to define your life by that. You start treating people as sexual objects. You then start colluding, Paul will tell you, with death itself. So Chris, are you saying sex is bad? No, God invented sex. Can I get an amen, church? He invented it, right? But if you abuse it, right? By by abusing, you turn away from God and you you choose to do whatever you want to do with sex that is to partner with death and decay and lifelessness itself. If you, if you choose to worship power, what do you do? You ultimately treat people as a means to an end. You throw out ethics. You, you no longer have an ethical mind. It's like you just treat people as, a, as competition. Right? Anybody can do it. Pastors probably are the worst at this. Not me, but all the other pastors. Right? We're just like, well, we got to have the biggest service, so we got to compete with all the other churches, and, and uh, because we're treating them uh, within the framework of power and competition. And to worship that is to be defined by that, and to be defined by that is to lose the image of God, is to slowly and surely cease to be human. If you worship money, and we've talked about this before, you begin to treat everybody not as human beings, but as creditors and bankers begin to treat everybody like man not not like a human being but you go in the grocery store and that person is just a grocery clerk right just transactions exchange money 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 come on money 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 everything is commodified in your life and you begin to worship that your life begins to be defined by that and then people are just simply tools talked about this before uh, how many of you love to go to Starbucks i love starbucks Uh, Every morning I wake up at 5.30 because I need some triple espresso in my body just to wake up. So I'll go to Starbucks, I'll get a plastic cup. They actually give it to me, right, they put the coffee in, they give it to me. And uh, I drink it, and then when I'm done with it, I discard it, right? The The Starbucks cup means nothing to me. It's an object, it's a thing. You see, when you worship money, when you worship sex, when you worship power, that's what you treat, or that's how you treat people, like a thing. You just you just discard, hey, I'm just gonna enter in this relationship. Uh, and if you stop, you know, doing what I, I like, or if you're not like following like my protocol, then I'm just gonna discard you. It's what happens when you worship anything other than God? Paul is saying is, or Paul's saying is that you're colluding with death itself. So we're not just thinking things, right? As one scholar said, we're not just like knowledge machines, and yes, we have knowledge. We're not just conscious of our surroundings. We're not just aware of what's going on. When it comes down to it, you as a human, if you're a human and not a Sasquatch or an alien here today, but if you're a human, right, and you're sucking oxygen in your lungs, you were created to worship. You were created to worship. This is why when in John's gospel, the very first words that Jesus uses, he looks to two of John's disciples, and they come to Jesus, and Jesus just looks at him and says, what do you want? First words, what do you want? The I love, Jesus. Jesus is basically saying, hey, the reason why I'm asking that question is because you are what you want. You are what you desire. You are what you, in another way, worship. You are what you desire, long for, and worship. And worship will shape how you think and how you feel and how you live your life. So how many of you know we need to get our worship right? Have to get our worship right. So the problem is, and what energizes, uh, just give me five more minutes and we'll get to giving thanks what energizes like false worship and idolatry and ingratitude and uh, not honoring God is this idea of suppressing truth. Again, how many of you know we need more truth in our world? We need it. So this idea of suppressing truth is 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 rooted in this like concept of there's really no nature in things. I'll explain. Like actions don't have a character is what people just assume. This radical idea that my actions don't have like a real nature to it. So the consequences of my actions don't correspond with that real nature. And what Paul would say is that is completely false. So what are we talking about, Chris? Why are you getting so philosophical on me? Let me just explain. Um, My kids love chocolate milk. And uh, I, I love chocolate milk. How many of you love chocolate milk? Um, so, uh, a couple days ago, it happened to my kids and I, my, my wife, she, she gets frustrated with me because I'll go to Starbucks, I'll take the kids with me, she'll tell me, don't give them chocolate milk, and I'm in the, the line, the drive-through, and it's inevitable, um, I'll look back, and my daughter gives me the puppy eyes, and it melts my heart, and I'll give them chocolate milk, and then I'll start giving them butter croissants, and then I'll start giving them Rice Krispie Treats. And then I'll just start giving them a, a bunch of sugar, right? So I don't know. I'm not a chemist, obviously, so I don't know what's in chocolate milk. It obviously has the property of chocolate and milk, but there's other stuff involved. All I know is that when I give, maybe this has, hasn't happened with your kids, but when I give my kids chocolate milk, it, it changes the, like, the chemical composition of their brain. And I have the best kids in the world, but they turn into honey badgers right? And you can't control them. And so I'll tell my kids, hey, you can't tell mom. This is horrible, guys. You can't tell mom that we got chocolate milk. But it doesn't matter. They go home and they're just like, they're bouncing off the walls. They're like frenetic energy. If we could just harness this, we could like create like some nuclear fission. I don't know. It's just amazing what happens to their body. Uh, The point that I'm trying to make is there's a real nature to things. So if you eat the triple cheeseburger, Three times a day, over time, it's going to affect your body. It's going to affect your mind. You could try to convince yourself that that chocolate milk or that triple cheeseburger isn't going to affect you, but it will because there's a real nature in things. God has designed this world as such that when you act or when you do something, because that something has a character to it, the consequences correspond to that. So if you act on lust, because lust is rooted in death, what are you going to get? You ain't going to get life. You're going to get death. You act on anxiety and bitterness. What's that going to lead? Is it going to lead to life? No, 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 no. It's only going to lead to death. One, One scholar said in the 19th century, Bishop Butler, he goes, the most dangerous illusion is that the consequences of my actions shall be as I please. Shall be as I please. So, what energizes ungodliness? What what energizes false worship or idolatry? Well, it's this desire to make truth untrue. And when you can make truth untrue, when you can convince yourself that God, I'm going to do it my own way. I will be in any relationship that I want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have sex with anybody that I want to have sex with. Can we talk honest in church? I'm going to do whatever I want with my money. I'm going to do whatever I want with the influence and the status that you've given me. Now, you can convince yourself that that will lead into fulfillment. But because this world has boundaries, because this world is not our world, but it's God's world, and there's a true character and nature to every action, you can make truth untrue, but truth will always prevail. So, why are we talking about this, Chris? Because this is leading us now to giving thanks. Over the next five, 10 minutes, I want to talk about taking up Thanksgiving. Not the holiday, even though I love the holiday and the stretchy pants. Can I get an amen? We want to take up giving thanks. So what's giving thanks? Giving thanks, actually, or thanks comes from a Latin word meaning to know. comes from like an old, uh, um, I think, middle English word, which means knowledge or thoughts. Thanksgiving, when we practice the art of taking up Thanksgiving with our words and with our deed, you know what we're doing? We're engaging with truth. It's funny, over the last few weeks, I've been reading a lot of different articles on like gratitude studies and Uh, reading articles that are like part of the therapeutic movement and some good articles, not, not so good articles, but it's interesting. There's this idea that man, gratitude is about like finding all the blessings or identifying all the blessings in your life. And as you identify those blessings that will create like, like a psychological mood in you. And I I do believe when you give thanks and when you practice an attitude of gratitude, uh, it's going to change uh, your mood. It's going to change how you think. But we don't give thanks simply to manipulate how we feel. The reason why we give thanks, and this is what I want us to take up, is because giving thanks is is all about worship. It's all about engaging with God's truth. It's essentially, it's it's reminding me. Because I can, I can't feel my way into God's truth. Have you ever tried to feel your way into God's truth? Have you ever tried to like, Make yourself do something different and found that to be difficult. I've shared this story so many times before, but um, about four years ago, I had a fetish with maple bars. Love maple bars. And I remember I made a decision. It was after second service. I was so disgusted with myself because I, I was eating those things all the time. And so I made a decision after a second service to uh, stop eating maple bars. And so that next day on Monday, for six hours, it was glorious. I was thinking about not eating bars, uh, maple bars. Uh, and then after about maybe five hours, I began to obsess over not eating maple bars. And then about the sixth or seventh hour, I started eating about three or four maple bars. <laughs> right. Is it funny? Have you ever tried to think your way out of like wrong thinking and you think your way into wrong thinking, right? So you can't feel your way into uh, right thinking, right? You can't feel your way into truth. How do you do it? Well, you got to thank your way. Because Thanksgiving is all about reminding you that, man, you did not, I did not, build the cosmos. When we, when we practice the art of giving thanks, what are, what are we saying? When we say, God, I thank you that you gave me uh, three beautiful children, and I don't even deserve them. I thank you that, man, when I was 18 and I was in that uh, English honors class, your presence came in and changed my life forever. I thank you that when I was going in this direction, you just, in, out of your grace, turned my life around and you, you put me on the right path. I thank you. When I begin to thank God, you know what I'm doing? I'm not feeling my way into truth. I'm reminding myself that I'm not in charge, that I didn't build the cosmos. I wasn't in some sort of unconscious state floating around in the space-time continuum and created myself. I'm reminding myself that I'm not a creator, that I'm not in control of truth or definitions of good or uh, wrong or like justice or injustice. God is the one. God is the one who put the universe into shape. Come on. God is the one who invented quantum mechanics and general relativity and gravity and all the things that we experience every single day and aspen trees and beautiful mountains, come on, and beautiful freshwater lakes and fish and the beautiful state of Idaho, right? He at least created the raw materials for the state of Idaho to be, come on. And then as I begin to thank God, I begin, I'm reminded that, man, again, I am not in charge, And then he created my body. And they begin to think about the achievements of Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that, man, my life is bound up with you. You defeated death. You defeated corruption. I begin to rehearse this. New creation was launched. When you came back from the dead, and I can be a part of it. When I just simply thank God for those specific things. You know what happens to my thinking? My thinking changes. My heart changes. How I live my life Changes. Remember, ingratitude is the foundation, the foundation for human corruption. You could even make the argument that if, if you're a complainer, what is that? At the root of it, that's idolatry. As Shane um, talked about it last, a couple weeks ago, Travis Bradbury in his article complaining rewires your brain for negativity. Not only does it like rewire your brain for negativity, it actually makes you uh, less smart, it drops your IQ. But not only does it do that physiologically, the Bible, and Paul would tell you, complaint is the result of you turning away from God in trying to take power or trying to take your life back. It's this pseudo self-efficacy. And it leads always to corruption. This is why in the book of Numbers, and I want to close here just with a few thoughts. By the book of Numbers, where God says to the children of Israel, hey, you're not going to come into the promised land. Why? Because you're psychopaths? No. no you're not going to come into the promised land because you, 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 you did sacrifices wrong? No. You're not going to come into the promised land because, man, you're, like, you, you, you're hating on everybody. You're messed up. No. The reason why God said to Moses that my people are not going to come into the promised land is because they chose to complain. Complain is all about worship. It's a worship word. So how do we disrupt the corruption in our life? How do we renew our minds? How do we live the good life? How do we discern God's will? Well, giving thanks and practicing giving thanks every single day is how you enter into what only Jesus can do for you. In other words, you can't think your way into new thinking. You can only thank your way into it. Like if you want to build, how many of you want to build beautiful thoughts in your brain? Right? How many of you, man? Marcus Aurelius. He, Aurelius. He said, as I mentioned before, 1700 years ago. Man, a man. Life it consists in what he thinks about. If you want your thinking straight. If you want to think straight about God, your life, your work, your kids, if you want to hear God speak, it all starts with practicing the art of giving thanks. Thanksgiving, in other words, is acknowledging that God is in charge. It's acknowledging that um, you're not in charge. You don't own your body. You don't own your kids. You don't own your money. Man, man. You don't own anything. Thanksgiving reminds you that you are a steward. And that God's blessing is always designed to flow through you. Now, let me just say this really quick, and I want to pray for you guys. Thanksgiving and practicing the art of Thanksgiving um, requires a tremendous amount of humility. If you're a complainer, you're a very arrogant person. Why, Chris? Well, because Thanksgiving is worship. It, Thanksgiving requires you to acknowledge that, okay, this is me, and this isn't my world." It actually leads you and this is which is so incredible about practicing the art of Thanksgiving. It leads you into uh, this blessed, as C.S. Lewis said it, this blessed self-forgetfulness, where you lose sight of yourself. you stop obsessing about what's going on in your life, or your psychological state, and you, you turn away from yourself. Hey, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Can I get any man to that? It's learning to, to turn away from yourself. It's, it's reminding yourself of the truth of scripture, and his goodness, the goodness of God. And it's, it's training. Thanksgiving is training how to think and how to rearrange your priorities and your aims and your habits and your practices. This is why Thanksgiving is the most disruptive thing you can do every single day. How do you wanna change the world? Well, you gotta change yourself. How do you change yourself? Practice Thanksgiving, and when you practice this art of taking up, giving thanks, it opens up your life to Jesus, his goodness, His righteousness, He puts your life back together. This is why the poet in Psalm 100 said, come into His presence with thanksgiving. Come on. Come into His presence with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Why? Because He's God. I love this. He's God and I'm not. He's the good shepherd, I'm not. He loves me and His faithful covenant love will remain forever come rain or high water, whatever, sunshine, hell, God's love will remain. God's love is present every single minute of the day. Every day. So Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do, this is Paul, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Everyone say, give thanks. Giving thanks to God the Father through him in everything. Everyone say, everything. Not not in some circumstances, not sometimes, but in everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is our challenge this week. For the next seven days, I want us to practice giving thanks in everything in word or deed, seven days, seven days. Let's replace complaining, as Shane talked about a couple weeks ago, with thanksgiving. And I believe as we practice thanksgiving, it's gonna remind us of truth. Isn't it funny how we forget things? It's amazing how I forget how, well, oh yeah, God, you said that yesterday. I completely forgot about that. Okay, when you give God thanks, you just, it's just. it's amazing what God does to you, we thank our way. We don't think our way into new thinking and new living. Can I get an amen? I want to end with this story. This is um, a story about Corey Timboon. Have you heard of her? She's uh, an amazing woman, and uh, she writes in her her book. She talks about her experience. She grew up uh, right before World War II. Her and her sister Betsy were caught by the Nazis and thrown into a concentration camp. And I just want to read this story and I want to pray for us that God's going to do something powerful in our heart. I think God's going to bring healing to our minds. I think God's going to bring restoration to our man, man, our soul. How many of you want that today? So she wrote, we followed our, gu- our guide single file. The aisle was not wide enough for two, fighting back the claustrophobia of these platforms rising everywhere above us. She's describing her experience in the concentration camp. The tremendous room was nearly empty of people. They must have been out on various work crews. At last, she pointed to a second tier in the center of a large block. To reach it, we had to stand on the bottom level, haul ourselves up, and then crawl across three other straw-covered platforms to reach the one that we would share with. How many? The deck above us was too close to let us sit up. We lay back, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. We could hear the, wo- the women who had arrived with us finding their places. Suddenly, I sat up, striking my head on the cross above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, this is her sister, this is Corey, describing her experience. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. We scrambled across the inner the intervening platforms, heads low to avoid another bump, dropped down to the aisle, and edged our way to a patch of light. Here, and then here another one, I wailed. Betsy. How can we live in such a place? Show us, show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize she was praying. Praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly. He's given us the answer. Before we ask, as he always does, in the in this Bible, in the Bible the more, this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight. Then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians. We are on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving another concentration camp. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is, comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh yeah, uh, to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around uh, me at the uh, the dark, foul-aired room, such as I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus, thank you for that. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here since we're packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, she's being sarcastic, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely. And I want you to thank God for the fleas and for Corey goes the fleas. This was too much for her. Betsy, there's no way even God, God Himself, cannot make me grateful for a flea. She and then she reminded uh, Corey, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us, and so we stood between the bunks and we gave thanks for the fleas but this time I was sure Betsy was wrong a couple weeks go by Betsy gets sick she goes into a repository a nurse tells her that um, the reason why the guards did not go into their barracks was because it was infested with fleas so for a couple weeks They were able to read their Bible. They were able to lead uh, all these women to Jesus. They were able to announce the good news in these horrible circumstances because it was the fleas that kept the guards from coming into uh, the barracks and torturing these women. Isn't it amazing how God can even use a flea? Blown away by that. And this is what I want us to practice this week. I remember I preached some of this at a church. And at the end, there were college students that were answering. It was like a Q&A. And I remember a girl came up to me and said, hey, uh, Chris, I, I love this concept of thanking your way into new thinking. But I just don't think I can. I don't know if I, my friend can. My friend's battling cancer. Uh, what do you say to that? And I remember in that moment thinking of Corey Timboon who eventually lost her sister Betsy in this concentration camp, who was told by Betsy to thank God for the fleas. And it was the fleas that kept the guards from coming in and enabling them to announce the good news to all these women. That's the kind of worship that I want. I'm not sure Thanksgiving like made them always feel great. I am sure that Thanksgiving set their mind and their hearts right. And I want want a right mind. I want a right heart. So no matter what I go through this week, no matter what we go through this week, let's take up giving thanks. Amen, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. If you wanna make a commitment today, to practice giving thanks. Can you just put your hand on your heart, and I want to pray with you. Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, I'm just asking. I, there, man, so many wonderful people in this room. Lord, I just ask you as we as we make a commitment to practice giving thanks and gratitude. Our desire is not simply to manipulate a mood in us. Our desire is to to make a commitment to worship you. No matter what we go through, I thank you for the grace to give you thanks. In the difficult times, in the good times, as we place our hand on our heart, we make a decision to live a life of thanksgiving, to live a life of gratitude. And I just thank you as our eyes are closed and as we close as part of the service, God, as, we, as we practice thanking you, there's some people in this room that they need you. Some people that are going through difficult circumstances, they've come today struggling, wanting answers, not having clarity. Lord, I thank you in this this atmosphere of thanksgiving, you would come and bring assurance to their heart and their soul that you have not left them, that you're a good God, that you're faithful, and that you would flood our hearts with your love this morning, this afternoon. And Lord, set into motion this week just a, a whole new way as we make a commitment to thanking you, a whole new way of thinking and living in Jesus' name. I thank you for your sweet presence. We bless you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.